welcome to Outside the Music Box. I'm Chloe Prendergast. And I'm Emma Williams. We're so glad you've joined us today. We're both violinists based in the Netherlands and have created this podcast in our search to find fun new ways to share and talk about music we love. Each episode, we explore a different piece of music through the eyes of a guest musician. Today's guest is Katarina Aletsisch, who we both know from playing in a Baroque ensemble here in the Netherlands called Holland Baroque. She's brought in Arnold Schoenberg's Verklärte Nacht, or Transfigured Night in English. Later in the episode, we talk about how Katarina started playing Baroque violin in addition to modern violin. Baroque violin is a little different to modern violin as it uses gut strings instead of metal strings, different bows, and generally requires a different technique to play because of the setup. We do our best to define the relevant music-y terms throughout the chat, but because this is our world and we're human, there will be things that we miss. So please let us know what these are, and we will be sure to clarify them in future episodes. And speaking of which, just a quick note that in our last episode with Francesco Torisi, we accidentally put the wrong saxophone solo when talking about Charlie Parker. Turns out we are not experts in jazz. Oops. <laughs> um, so we've put a link to the correct solo in his episode's show notes now um, if you want to go and check that out. This show is supported by our listeners, and we'd love for you to consider donating what you feel this podcast is worth for you in relation to what you have. This is the system we use for our concerts and in the podcast world is known as the value for value model. It allows us to pay the necessary fees of making and publishing a podcast and also for paying our lovely editing helper, Joanna Neuschatz. You can donate by going to paypal.me slash musicboxconcerts, which we've also linked in our show notes. Thanks for joining us and enjoy our chat with Katharina and Schoenberg's Verklärte Nacht. morning nice to see you girls good morning <laughs> do you have your coffees you? yeah we've all we've yeah, got lots of liquid we have our tea <laughs> anyway um, thank you so much for joining us thank you for the invitation on this podcast we like having our guests introduce themselves do you mind starting by introducing yourself my name is katarina alexic and uh, i'm a violinist who decided to play two different kinds of violins in her life. So in the same time, I'm doing a, a job as a concertmaster of the radio orchestra of Radio Television Serbia. And um, my heart is a lot in Baroque violin also. And we'll talk later probably about how you got into playing Baroque violin and sort of the difference between those two things. Um, but we know each other from playing Baroque violin together. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so nice. Nice, nice memories. Cool. And so today um, you've brought in a very big piece, <laughs> um, Schoenberg's Verklärte Nacht, um, and also well, do you want to start with that or do you want to start with maybe your kind of journey through music? Well, when, when you girls asked me to join your fantastic podcast, I uh, started to think about uh, things in the way you pointed me at. And then you made me maybe even think about some things in a new way. 
how it came to this point and uh, and also connected to the situation present situation in the world let's say i wanted somehow to make a make a little emphasis or to point out how also technology play a big role in uh, our lives in um, in comprehending the music in uh, getting in touch into music and how it happened in my case uh, that since very early age it uh, actually played a big role into my coming into the world of uh, classical music uh, in the first place. So this, uh, of course, is not connected with the Transfigured Night of Schoenberg so much. This is maybe something else or another emotion that I wanted to communicate with you. But uh, I wanted maybe to use my chance and opportunity to point this uh, little thing out that we maybe don't think about so much but it's quite uh, quite a big big deal I, I find yeah and can you can you start with telling us about that how did you discover music can you tell us about where you grew up what this what that was like at the time yeah well if you on one side and me on other, we are in different generations already it's somehow <laughs> my generation was uh, on the transition between um old times and the uh, informatical era, era which is now very much uh, present in our lives. So maybe some things that I will tell you will be exotic or uh, interesting <laughs> for you or uh, even, even sound like uh, ancient, ancient times. Uh, I grew up in the place which was called uh, at the time Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia. Uh, and uh, born in the little city, uh, in there was still, let's say, communist time and the Eastern Bloc at its best. But nice times behind us. I mean, years after war, my family was doing well, and we had a nice, uh, actually, nice childhood in all these things. And of course, my first contact in music can be. Oh, did I tell you about singing traditional songs on the bike with my mother when we went? Or, uh, or even when we went, when we spent summertime in the in the countryside, when the people still, still, I think on the around, probably around some old holidays, which kept some pagan background even in the custom in the tradition. Wow. Around the big fire, after, for example, pack of people were in the forest picking for fresh wild mushrooms, and then in the evenings. We're around the fire, they grilled the smell of wild mushrooms. And then my grand-grandfather had this traditional instrument. And then at one point, he stands up and played epic traditional songs for all of us. Or then me taking, taking my first stage performance on the green bench in front of all these people, neighbors, friends <laughs> and relatives, singing also some traditional songs. These are, of course, first contacts with the music which are natural, yeah. which are nice, but also in, in a way already now it doesn't happen in present days. So this um, and the traditional music also I find very important for uh, to have it in your code, let's mm. say, in your understanding yeah. of the music and how the language is connected through the music with your tradition. This is the song that Katarina sang for her first stage performance on the bench by the fire. Apparently it is about someone named Kata, which is why she learned it so early.
But then there was a point, I was uh, maybe three or four years old. My father was uh, having a job which allowed him to travel a lot. What job did he have? He's an economist and he worked in the big factory as a sale, uh, chief of salesman expert, let's say. They made electric cables or, and then exporting them uh, yeah. Germany, I don't know, never mind, in Europe. <laughs> so, and uh, in one of the, the, there was a point in uh, that time in my country that we couldn't, you couldn't buy anything. There was like limited things. It was different times also not to spread the story. But then on his journeys, uh, he always brought some beautiful things. One of them was uh, the, this big musical system with a gramophone record player, with a cassette uh, player, with, uh, of course, huge, all connected with the huge, beautiful sounding uh, speakers and big, good quality. I think these headphones are still today. This is really something. And he was even no musician, not musician and not even musical by his being. But he knew that there's something nice, nice about it. So he was bringing a lot of rec records, LPs, and uh, also uh, sheet music. Even nobody in the family played any instrument yet. So if, with all this abundance of, uh, it's a miracle. You have this big machine in front of you and early age, you already learn how to man manipulate with it. So this was the first fascination of mine with technology that you at first you have to you know put out the dust of, of the needle and the gramophone you know or to you know this all these little buttons i was maybe age four or five and then when you make it happen then you get lost in the beautiful sound very good quality sound in the music i think it happened this understanding of music even before the uh, complete mastering the language happened mm, right for yeah. sure so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so it it was so natural for me. I could I could spend hours with it, and then there I don't know random music. I he just brought. How did he pick? How did he pick what he, records he was bringing? He, back? Always, he always said, "I have few minutes in the breaks of the work. Can you imagine now in the break of where we don't go to the coffee, but you run to the." antiquity store or record store or and then he said give me something you know the guys give me i want to and then they give oh we have this nice so i remember for hours listening ravel bolero or uh, even berlioz Fant symphony fantastic early age maybe i didn't understand and then some violin pieces which then the for example paganini yeah. simplicity childish simplicity of the melodies so you can relate to, and then insane virtuosity of the technique, it's fascinating. And then later on, I started to play first accordion and learn some solfeggio lessons and then the violin and then 
Of course, the whole uh, formal education in this uh, boarding school. I went to boarding school for nine years. Oh, wow. Yes, yes, yes. It was a special. I'd also a little bit Eastern Bloc, Russian model, let's say, the school when you during the week you're there sleep there eat there practice a lot lots of chamber wow. music orchestra individual lessons and emphasis of music theory so a music boarding school yes it's like for specially gifted children it was called we were, we were 70 all together in all generations oh my goodness and how old were you when you started that uh it was already eight years old since i graduated for music academy Wow. So this was also one exceptional experience of my life, but also not the subject of this conversation. I mean, we find it pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 I told you it's going to be exotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, who were the other children there? How had they found music? In the school. Yeah, different. It was, um, uh, they had this school, they have still, I think, this practice. They sent out the teachers in the um, ordinary musical schools. To look for people. To look for especially mm. gifted children or a bit, you know, they asked and then they contact the parents. If you want to come to the school, then you have to do the entering exam. And uh, then the uh, journey starts and some people dropped out, of course, because the pressure was huge and everything. But Still, uh, it, uh, yeah, it can give you this specialized uh, training from early age. Uh, yeah, it, discipline. It gives you some strengths, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you survived, so it did you some good, I guess. Apparently, apparently, yeah, yeah. I find, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, not always easy, but also I found uh, a lot of... Uh, a lot of things very useful and the way that we worked and uh, of course my beloved uh, chamber music which can be now a link to to the piece of the choice of this uh, of this episode a lot of chamber music is since early age which is i find the most beautiful gift that the school could give you absolutely yeah to play in a small group with people your own age yes that's yeah, that's like one of the best things under ever. under a very careful supervision, lots of practice and um, nice. Yeah. Things. Before we get into Schoenberg, though, I would love to know what struck you about the sound of the violin at the beginning, because you said that like listening to Paganini really struck you. What what was it about that? What do you remember about hearing this the sound of the violin? Not exactly the sound of violin, but the whole, uh, I don't know, I remember being amazed by the sound itself in the, you know, the moment you put the machine on, machine I say, but the, the system, and it brings so pre so, something so present and so big in mm. your mind and communicate at the first uh, moment. Yeah. And do you still love those pieces that you listened to then? Do they feel like extra special? I I still love this. Uh, we I had the single single vinyl. How do you say it? Eh? Yeah, with uh, from Greece from the movie, and I yeah. still love this song. This uh, you're the one that I love. That I want. That I want. You're the one that I want. <laughs> I played in. Uh, I also sang along with uh, my broken English. Oh, oh so yeah. random, random words that you think you hear. Yeah. It was quite a picture to see, I think. <laughs>
So yes, yes. So not only classical music this is the point. Of course, I mm. listened, uh, I listened a lot and everything, which I also find is very important that you give your child the opportunity to listen to everything, so that he get the um, it gets the um, comprehension of music and then can choose more. Well, I mean, the the more we talk about music, even on this podcast and just in life, I mean, the more we find connections between all types of music always. Mm. I mean, there's always things that link different types of music and that kind of makes you then appreciate the music that much more. Yes, this I find very good. I listened folk songs with my grandmother or pop of the days with my mother or classical music. I had a lot of information then then you can choose yeah absolutely so shall we have a dig into the schoenberg then let's jump then let's jump in 20 20 years uh, to the future from the moment or yeah from the moment we're speaking about of course at that time uh, already very much in shape with playing and i got to play this wonderful piece transfigured night by the by schoenberg so how old were you when you played it? Well, maybe 27, uh, 26-7 already. So okay. after the Music Academy and everything. Anyway, as you know how we do, musicians, you got to get the music, you jump into the piece and uh, you practice a lot and then you get to the rehearsal, you try to connect everything in the musical way, of course. And then something about the music really made me deeply moved even without knowing the background of of the mm-hmm. composition. Okay, here's some background on what you need to know about Schoenberg and this piece. Arnold Schoenberg was born in Vienna in 1874 and died in Los Angeles in 1951, so he lived through a lot of major changes in the world. The way he composed music changed significantly throughout his life as well. In the first part of his career, he was composing in what we call the Romantic style, which is known for long, sweeping melodies and lush, dense harmonies. By the 1920s, however, Schoenberg had renounced traditional Romantic harmonic rules, created a new school of music called the Second Viennese School, and developed a new harmonic system called the Twelve-Tone Method, also known as Serialism, also known as Atonal Music. We'll explain a bit more about this method and the music itself later, but in the 1930s, the Nazis deemed this music as degenerate or dangerous. This, combined with the fact that he was Jewish, meant that he had to flee to the United States, where he lived for the rest of his life. This piece, Verklärte Nacht, or Transfigured Night in English, is a perfect example of Schoenberg's Romantic period. It was written in 1899, originally for six instruments, two violins, two violas and two cellos, but was later also made into a string orchestra arrangement. It's about half an hour long and based on a poem by Richard Daimel. We'll put a link to the poem's translation in the show notes, but it follows the story of a man and a woman walking in the woods. The woman confesses to bearing another man's child, and the man she's walking with eventually accepts and embraces both the woman and the unborn child. As with some other pieces we've talked about on this podcast, this is a programmatic work which means that Schoenberg portrays the emotions and story of this poem through the music.
And then, of course, I looked at it and I looked at this uh, poem, which is behind uh, the whole thing and really programming the whole piece. Basically, this, uh, the, every verse uh, has a uh, part in the, in the music. Um, maybe you can, yeah, go through that, that story of that poem for us. It's a simple walk in the moon, two people in the silence, no? But there's a lot of going on inside. He loves her and she has a secret that she feels that if she communicates this secret with him, it's maybe all going to be lost. And uh, they go and then, of course, the music follows uh, this. And then there is, of course, description of the dark night and the, and the moon and uh, this walk. And then there comes the point that she decides to share the secret and to see what happens. And uh, she said that uh, she loves him, but unfortunately she, she's, uh, she's bearing the child with another man. And this, uh, especially in those years, don't you think? Yeah. 100 years ago, more than 100 years ago, it's a big deal. Yep. And uh, they, and then they walk in silence again, I think for a while. I don't know, we don't know. And then he mentions first the night and the silver moon and uh, then how, because of her, the whole universe is gleaming or I don't know the word. Mm. The translation is also maybe tricky from German to English already. But, um, and everything changes for him with her. And then even this ch child will be transfigured, will be changed and uh, for him and he doesn't mind and he will take care of them, two, two of them together because uh, the important things are important things. Yeah, he's accepted it. Yes, yeah. accepted, but not only, not only accepted, but to really acceptance is one thing, but really to live through the forgiveness. And um, it's a big, uh, it's a big thing, mm. big thing. And it can teach us uh, that uh, how forgiveness is important and how less and less, I mean, people always have been, but they focus on the little things and not, they're not able to forgive sometimes. And then it, it's a burden. Anyway, I was young and uh, still, you know, in, in the moment of being very young and with some ideas, the idea of the song uh, and the idea of the moment of the forgiveness between man and woman acceptance and uh, the fact that he's pointing out that uh, the whole universe glows differently because of her and the present situation uh, doesn't make it different for him. And then in the piece, this is one beautiful, simple D major chord. 
Here's the section of the piece that Katarina was talking about where the magical D major chord comes. This is just after the halfway point of the piece and is in the section of the poem where the man is accepting the woman and her unborn child. This is such a special moment because before this, Schoenberg has been playing with our emotions by using really dense harmonies that never really resolve, so the music shows the inner turmoil of both the man and the woman. But here with this bright harmony, we finally get a moment of calm with this simple, pure D major chord. It's so exceptional that you even feel it before the knowledge of, of the program, of the music. And uh, I remember then maybe for the first time, more consciously for the first time, that I really wanted from then to try always to find the clear emotion and to connect, the, you know, to clearly connect the emotion with what I'm saying and how I will communicate it with the, with the audience and, of course, with myself. It's, so it was a kind of a revelation. Yeah. So did you um, play it and then, then go back and look at the story once you sort of felt that emotional connection? Oh, no, no, it was during the project. It was during the project. Yeah, yeah. And what was the project? What were you playing? Nice that you ask because uh, it was uh, in uh, Slovenia with a bunch of. Uh, uh, there was a friend, uh, oboe player from Slo Slovenia, Ljubljana Philharmonic Orchestra, that he had an idea to gather people and friends that he connected to during his history in playing, that really the players, which are good players, and that he has the connection understanding on the human level so we were mm. all somehow i find that is happening also in our together uh, group yeah a lot that uh, this um, uh, that we have an, some kind of a basic human understanding and uh, and well going well together so it was a beautiful bunch of people and uh, we played it was in the orchestral version then later on, I played it once in the sextet, which is also very special, much more difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to do it again, again, to try to do it with the people that I want to do it with. Um, and, um, and it sounds like it was a really special experience. Absolutely, because all this, uh, then we spoke about it, of course, about the whole thing and... Uh, uh, anxious feeling before and then the big revelation and all the light after and uh, and then we could feel it together also yeah way. and how how had you met this friend who gathered you there you wouldn't believe but uh, it was really recognition on, on um of the similar minds in a very big group. So two of the big radio orchestras, the Slovenian Philharmonic and the radio orchestra, were about to play a summer open air concert in Ljubljana together. So we were sitting um, uh, one, one, one on the stand. So one of Ljubljana, one of Belgrade on one stand. So huge amount, I don't know, 51st violins, I don't know. 
and the choirs, two joined choirs. So it was huge stage. It was a long time ago. And, uh, and then at some point, uh, my colleague, uh, concertmaster, asked me on one rehearsal to stand up to ask for tuning to give me the concertmaster job. And then this oboe player, we just looked at each other. We didn't even notice each other. We just looked at each other in the way. And uh, But then he came to me. We talked. We really found, um, of course, then we observed the way we played. It was the observation of the way of playing that got us together, the way of understanding music, only on visual contact. That's also possible, no? Yeah, it is. Of course, his playing of the first oboe could give me a beautiful idea. About- you could hear him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is amazing, right? That sometimes when you're playing with people, you just have an immediate connection that way where you're like, yes. yeah, this is it. It's a lot. I think uh, m- many people of out of musical world uh, cannot understand this uh, maybe quick connection that we can make between us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's. And I always explain it uh, that we musicians have the luck to be more in the contact of uh, in the contact with our own emotions because we have to live through the music and we can recognize better the emotions, so we can communicate better mm. with other people also, and then especially with musicians because it's a similar uh, mechanism. I find. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think we can connect with other musicians well. Sometimes <laughs> hard in the real world, but. <laughs> Then some kind of, of course, different people, different different uh, comprehension of the music. But when you find people who think alike, yeah, then it's magical, right? Yes, can be. Yeah, can be. yeah. So then, when did you start playing in the radio symphony, and then when did you become concertmaster? Like, what was the time? So it was uh, already in two thousand three that I started my trial first as, um, in the. Um, in the second violins, co-leader of the second violins. Then I made auditions, 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 auditions. And then uh, I started trial as a concertmaster in 2006 already. So it's okay. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Been a while. Today, I have a, today I have a beautiful uh, opportunity to play um, one nice solo concertmaster uh, of one of my favorite pieces that we played a lot in this school, uh, Shostakovich Chamber Symphony. Hundred ten, with this beautiful solo, solo, the uh, solo violin is against everybody, the individual in the society. And then you connect it with the present situation. You can always find this uh, uh, connection. Yeah, the emotion, Absolutely. the music, and uh, what's happening to you. It lives, it can live through you on everyday basis. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I have a teacher who at one point when I was studying with her said something about, you know, every emotion that is in any piece of music is an emotion that every single human has felt. Exactly. Maybe to different degrees, but it's all, every human has experienced the full range of human emotion and it's all in the music. Now you gave me goosebumps, Chloe. You gave me goosebumps. It's fantastic. 
It did. It was such an amazing moment. I was like, you are so right. I remember just, I'd never thought about it before. I was like, I don't know, 18 or something. Yeah. Just had never thought about no, it. We just go, we practice. We, you don't think about the things, but then things come to you also on the way. Yeah. Exactly. And you can uh, do, for example, I was recording this Shostakovich for days now, and then I could listen to the studio material a little bit. And one day I played with one emotion, second day I tried something else. So you can try in this solo, loneliness, despair. You can try uh, being lost in the in the society. You can try a lot and it makes a difference. Maybe only in my uh, imagination, but I think also. We played it live on concert uh, last week. And uh, people said that it was quite powerful, the communication of the emotion from my yeah, team. I'm sure it was. So I think it's, uh, it's a thing that we can always think about. Always to drive in all our technical, being busy, late or the, for the rehearsal or not, having problems or not, the bills and everything. We have to find time to breathe in and to try to find it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's our job. Yeah. Um, Maybe we could go back to the Kleitenacht again. Um, you mentioned that it um, it's both in an orchestrated version where you play it with a whole big orchestra, and then also there's the version for only six people. Yes. Do you do you prefer one of them over the other? Absolutely, the dream is uh, to play it again in uh, in a small setting. Yeah, yeah. What changes for you when you play it in a small setting? Uh, the, because you can, it's very difficult technically, of course, but then you can adjust, uh, you can fine tune more details with the sections, two violins, two violas, two, two cellos. And you can, I think, extract more nuances, uh, in fine things with the amount of vibrato, expressive, you know, with these specific things that sometimes you, in the bigger group, you can't control, you can get in the bigger group other qualities, joined pianissimo, for example, of many players, really, this or big forte, or... Mm. Of course, there is um, pros and cons on both versions, but uh, this one, very challenging and uh, and uh, dream, a dream to play. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a lush piece. I mean, I, so I've played it in the, the chamber um, orchestra version and uh, it just blew my mind. I, I didn't really know the piece beforehand, actually. I think I'd heard bits of it or something but hadn't really paid attention. And, yeah, this was when I was about, I don't know, 21 or 22, and um, a friend of mine was conducting it and, yeah, really lovely guy and um, it was just a lot of our friends playing it together for him. And it was just amazing, like the the group sound that we got from all playing it together and like such lush, peak romantic kind of long sweeping melodies and like really dense harmonies. And then all these random notes that he just put in there that, that would really like completely change the effect of the harmonies I feel like it would be kind of a sort of normal harmony but then it would have like one or two notes that yeah that create this tension or drive you to the next section um which I found extremely like yeah really touching but I can also then see how 
difficult that would be as a sextet only having six people to try and get that huge lush kind of dense sound with only six people I mean yeah that that is the goal (laughs) it's fantastic what would be your dream performance of that so you'd have a sextet where would it be Mm. very difficult question my dear (laughs) (laughs) very difficult question I don't know I don't know. I can't tell. Okay. <laughs> and do you have do you have other favorite parts besides this D major chord, which is like extraordinary? Do you have other favorite? Parts? There is a lot. I mean, the from the very beginning, the 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 walk, the rhythm of walking. So, I don't know, many, many, I don't know, I love the moment when it gets uh, very tense and then, and then it relaxes or, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of moments, yeah. Yeah, that kind of tension and release. Yes. Yeah, 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 coming into some uh, deeper and deeper, some, uh, like a forest of harmonies and then, you know, and then something comes up out of it, that viola uh, theme or cello, it's beautiful. Of course, uh, first violin has a tough job to do, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, connecting everything, and it's, it's beautiful. It's just very beautiful. And extraordinary also because uh, on the transition uh, moments of something already born in his mind, but still he's looking back in the past with Mahler tradition, with Wagner, with all of this, and then already having a very clear idea of something completely else that he will very soon uh, just put in the world. Yeah, it's so funny. I find Schoenberg is like the epitome of the cyclic nature of history <laughs> put it that way <laughs> wow, <Emma. laughs> and, um, getting really profound now <laughs> yeah but I mean he so this is like peak romantic lush just kind of almost perfection of the 19th century sound and then he just completely gets rid of all harmonic kind of traditions and rules from you know hundreds and hundreds of years and goes no I'm gonna just like create this other whole system around 12 tones and just completely stuff up the system and you guys are just gonna you know have to deal with it and then this knock-on effect like 
That's yes, amazing. He said, he said something like, uh, maybe you're not able to understand it yet, but it's kind of a thing that is going to be. And it was like this. It was, yeah. As we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Schoenberg drastically changed his compositional style throughout his life. You've been hearing his romantic style in Verklärte Nacht, but soon after writing this, he experimented with free atonality, which is where there is no clear harmonic home bass. Katarina is about to reference Schoenberg's Piero Lunaire, which is a great example of this type of composing and sounds like this. Den Wein, den man mit Augen trinkt, gießt nachts der Mond in Wogen nieder. Und eine Springflut überschwemmt den stillen Horizont. After this, in the 1920s, Schoenberg developed a totally new system for creating melody and harmony in music. This system is called the 12-tone technique. Without getting into a three-hour music theory lesson, here's generally how it works. There are 12 chromatic tones in an octave. Side note, we've linked in the show notes a YouTube video with a man that reminds us of that one guy in The Princess Bride teaching the virtual world about chromatic scales. You can check it out. Western classical music is traditionally constructed by using these 12 notes within a set of specific rules that create a home tonal center. Unlike the traditional rules of Western classical music, Schoenberg wanted to have a feeling of no home base in his harmonic language. In order to do this, Schoenberg created a system where each of the 12 tones is used in a sequence before any of the tones can be used again. He then created weird and wonderful patterns out of these sequences of notes to create larger pieces. A famous one is Variations for Orchestra, written in 1928. done if any of that made sense. Turns out it's hard to condense a whole semester of music theory into one paragraph. Fun fact though, or maybe not so fun, uh, Schoenberg thought he was the bee's knees. When creating this new system, he said, I have made a discovery which will ensure the supremacy of German music for the next hundred years. (laughs) Little did he know what was coming. I mean, I remember studying this piece, I remember studying Verklärte Tenacht in music history, and then what happened in Schoenberg and all of these things. And I really, I actually have never played any Schoenberg, but I, it really stuck with me, the, the transformation that I was seeing. I remember being like, wow, in one human, he made all of these transformations that made such a huge impact on history, but also like his range of what he was able to create was so huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even uh, I like uh, in uh, Pierrot Lunaire also fantastic usage of uh, voice, which is like um, uh, like uh, recited, as well as in a maybe less known piece, this cantata survival from Warsaw with the choir and uh, describing the moment of. Um, 
concentration camp. So the voice is uh, the voice is uh, German guard, which is shouting on the on the convicts. And then they stand up. The choir is silent till the last minute, and then they stand up and they all together, maybe already dead. I don't know, because they're preparing them from the guest chamber. And then, of course, there's uh, some beating, and then they stand up and sing the the prayer, the ancient prayer of uh, the Israel, the Shema, yeah, that they say at the end. Yeah. Yes, they sing it in a strong voices, male voices, and before that is only re- recited. Voice with all the instruments getting together, it's also fantastic. It, um, it of course always the recite recitativo always gives the connection with the previous uh, usage of uh, recitativo through history, and the special way he uses it also fantastic. So there are many many points that he showed and uh, displayed uh, the huge understanding of the components um, of music, what was and what is gonna be used a lot of things and then made a way, his own way, which people didn't understand at the moment. He was even not allowed to come back to Germany because of his idea. He he had to move to the States to continue his journey because of his decadent and uh, spoiling uh, ideas. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. So the the whole uh, story around his personality and music is just amazing. And we small players can continue to practice the difficult part of first violin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, And you just mentioned recitativo, which is something that comes from the Baroque. So now I'm using that as our little transition into how did you find thank Great you thank segue. you for that. Oh, yeah. that was beautiful <laughs> <laughs> um can you tell us about how you found the baroque violin and early music hmm. so it was also kind of a story that stretched uh, to some 10 years altogether to make the final final decision I was uh, lucky when after this uh, school that I was in and uh, entering the music academy to, with a really great professor who had a background uh, finishing the Moscow Conservatory, but also playing and teaching a lot in Italy at the same time and uh, here in Belgrade. And uh, she was, unlike maybe other teachers, much more open to always suggest us to go to any good master classes, to listen to different recordings, to really... She was so generous. At a certain point, there was a moment that she showed up with a CD of uh, Rachel Podger on Baroque violin, of course, uh, of uh, complete works of uh, Bach sonatas and partitas for vi- solo violin. And she said, okay, this is different. You will find a lot of, you cannot play exactly like this with modern bow. 
But this is a very good inspiration and very good thing for you to listen to how to comprehend the phrase and the moving because, of course, I don't know if you remember the moment when being 10, 11, first time meeting Bach solo. It was for me, I remember clearly, it was for me, what is this and how I was going to play it. I couldn't yes. move. I couldn't move. Because uh, somehow then after, of course, let's go back to the story. Then I listened to it. I loved it. I really loved it. The the fluence and the sound of the big church and and sound of Baroque violin and the God strings. And then it was always in my mind. And I always, whenever played uh, something from that uh, period, I always uh, came to the recordings of uh, Baroque instruments, on Baroque instruments. Then... Completely by accident. Friend of mine from opera, guy who is uh, here in ensemble, who this ensemble is more, it's called Renaissance ensemble, and they are focused on the middle age. And then they were engaged in some production in Montenegro, I remembered it. He said, listen, I have an emergency. Everybody, my violin is cancelled. I know that you have uh, understanding for and uh, like affinity for this music. Will you save my, uh, you know, my situation and come travel with me and play first time on God strings and Baroque? Oh my and I go directly to the rehearsal, guys. I couldn't produce a sound. <laughs> of course, I had two days. It was scratching and something, and I practiced. I mean, I had, and then we traveled. Maybe I don't know the day after tomorrow, and I don't, I don't remember. Luckily, it was Monteverdi, it was Orfeo, so you, I could do. And then if <laughs> I could you know, escape, it was a big production. It was kind of, uh, of course, uh, on one side, uh, sound-wise was a disaster. But uh, <laughs> the feeling was there. <laughs> the feeling and now curiosity, if I can, because when you're a modern violinist in shape, you really feel invincible. <laughs> You really feel that you can do anything that they ask. I was already at that time a concert master of the big orchestra. I already felt I have it. And then you cannot produce the sound. Oh, ho, ho, what is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm a child. <laughs> yes. So it also made me very, very curious. So from that time on, I joined them for a few projects. And then in a few years, I started to be interested in the event and met some very good uh, violin players and had the chance to have master classes with. And then I started to feel the instrument more. Then I had a chance to meet Judith uh, Steinbrink from Hornbrook uh, on one occasion, completely also by accident that we got yeah, in touch. How did you meet? Well, we, I was invited, there is a guy in Timisoara in uh, Romania, which is actually only 160 kilometers from Belgrade here. Oh, wow. That for years already, this time was canceled this year, but I think more than 15 editions of the festival of the old music, uh, early music, sorry, uh, in this relatively small city in Romania. Then Judith was a guest on the festival and I was invited to join the festival orchestra to just, you know, to be one more violinist because it's uh, nearby and I just could can jump. And, and then 
one at one there was one rehearsal extra which was not scheduled and they did texted me but because of the magic of telecommunication they didn't get uh, the sms on time oh, no. i was late for the rehearsal all stressed and then i come in and then the only next ne- free seat was next to judith and then we started to play a little bit together, you know, like noticed each other. Let's say recognized each other as we spoke before. Before that, we, we she was I was in first violence, she was leading second violence. So we were sitting across the orchestra, and I liked I loved only visually how she cares about the sound, and how I see how focused she is to create the beautiful sound on the violin, and I liked that very much. And then we somehow get, got connected. Then later on, we spoke. And I remember she was, you know, we both, you know, Judith, and how she's always open and interested and uh, open, let's say, with, with her eyes always, oh, curious and how that feels and to learn about the different experiences and different. So this was the moment that uh, that we somehow connected after that we got connected via facebook a little bit and at some point i was i showed of course i uh, very much uh, appreciated uh, the work of uh, hon baroque and i was kind of a fan (laughs) a lot and then it came to the point that she decided that i can be invited to join the orchestra and that happened in 2014 and since then we're we're together let's say in this journey yeah. we're traveling together yeah as always in life some, some um, roads come to the same crossroads and then yeah um and for our final question that we ask at the end of every episode can you tell us if there is a piece from another instrument's repertoire that you're jealous of mm. for sure it would be singing this beautiful Lamento della Nympha mm. uh, of Monteverdi, madrigals, of course. And uh, also the moment maybe when she's left on the island by her, her traitorous lover. And then at first she's furious. She's very furious. But the moment then when she despairs and then when she says, okay, I'm now left here to be crushed by the waves and eaten by the sea animals and monsters. And so these are the, this transition between furious and desperation is uh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a great choice. Um, <laughs> and how can people support you get uh, to know your work where, I don't know, we just like to give our listeners sort of a platform to support our guests. Well, uh, I'm engaged, of course, with Holland Baroque. I'm engaged with Belgrade Baroque. We have a small group here in Belgrade with uh, nice. yes, that we try to. We do a lot. Uh, we do a Baroque, of course, but now we connected also with contemporary composers. So this, of course, this Radio Symphony Orchestra. These are my my uh, fields. Well, we'll put the links for your groups in our show notes. Yes, nice. Oh, Katja, it was so nice to have you. Thank you for being on this podcast. It's beautiful. It's wonderful what you do, girls. And the guests were fantastic and very nice, nice things. Some, Some people more casual, more, and some with very deep insight. And it's really beautiful. Relaxing to listen and nice information. 
I think interesting both for musicians and both for non-musicians. We hope so. Yeah. We hope and so. We're that is the goal. Enjoying it. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well done. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Beautiful Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to Outside the Music Box. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Katarina Alexic. If so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and tell all your friends about it. We'd really appreciate it. Also, big shout out to Joanna Neuschatz for her help with editing, who also really appreciates your donations via our PayPal, which is paypal.me forward slash musicboxconcerts. It's super easy to donate, and these donations help keep the podcast running in lieu of advertising. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any questions or want to share music that you love, you can write to us at concerts.musicbox at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram at musicboxconcerts and Twitter at Outside Music Box. Write in with comments or questions that you have and we'll get back to you. In the show notes, we've included links to three Spotify playlists, one specifically for the pieces in this episode and the others for all the pieces we've talked about on this podcast so far. However, we really encourage you to purchase music in order to support the artists. The best way to support Katarina is by finding her on any of her orchestral websites, which we've also linked in the show notes. See you next time outside the music box. Music box.